This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson here with you this week. Tonight on Seeing Red, the Red Bulls pull ever closer to a second supporter's shield and an Eastern Conference championship with a 2-1 home victory against Montreal Impact and Didier Drogba, who, wow... We have penalty kicks. We have red cards. We have Red Bull players screaming at each other at the end of the game. Uh, we've got a whole lot of drama to talk about for a Wednesday night match. Then we'll give our bull and cow, of course. We'll reset the playoff picture with three matches to go and two weeks for New York before the end of the regular season. Then we will preview Toronto FC. That is Wednesday night up in BMO Field. Toronto will be missing a lot of very important pieces. Due to the international break, we'll talk to Sasha Kleschen, key, key component of the success of the Red Bulls this year, and then your emails. It's all that on a, uh, on a nice size for a midweek uh, match on Seeing Red. How are you, Dan? I'm doing all right, Mark. Your thoughts uh, in general on Montreal? It was... Uh, our, our friend Iongo had a very short stay on the man on the pitch. He did. You know, it was uh, it was thrilling that by the time we hit, I think it was about the 60th minute, all, all three of the players in the trade from the beginning of the season <laughs> were off. Yeah, everybody everybody went off the field. You know, if you wanted the reunion, you got to get there early. Um, you know, honestly, I felt the match was was a pretty in control performance from the Red Bulls. I know it got very nervy at the end because it was two one trying to find a third goal to, to really put it away. But Montreal's shape and, and form throughout the match just did not impress me. And, and partially that was that they were playing with 10. Um, they had yes. to slide Rio Coker back, and they basically isolated Drogba and hoped that he would be able to spring on the counter and do something. And he got forward a couple of times, but ultimately, you know, Louise shut him down once, and there was the penalty kick, but whatever, and I, I, I thought it was a fine performance. I don't think it was the best of the year, but I thought it was acceptable. Yeah, I agreed when Montreal goes to 10, things change, and this was, I believe it was the first time that the Red Bulls scored a goal when they were up a man, all season long, and that's happened believe quite that. a bit, and that's quite a bit. Obviously, Lloyd Sam, the sweet, sweet floater, um, oh wait, no, it can't be the first time because they scored a second on Orlando, I think. Okay, yes, you're correct, yes. and they also scored at the end of the Open Cup match against Philly to tie if we're it. Count that, yeah. tie. If we go, well, we can count that. Okay, but yes, but both of those both of those goals came very, very, very late, and this came a lot earlier. New York had this the same old, same old challenges uh, in terms of playing and breaking down a team that bunkered, and again. Yeah, we, we can talk about Lloyd Sam's terrific chip, which was a tremendous amount of skill. Mm-hmm. Tremendous amount of skill. One touching that, kind of side passing that in the air, dipped right under the bar. And I, I thought that Bush may have gotten a finger on it. It floated right over his hand. Um, but nevertheless, a terrific goal. Question, obviously, uh, as as you will hear later on Seeing Red, that was the first time that Question took two penalty kicks in one game, as for his memory. And... Um, you know, obviously Evan Bush is a quality goalkeeper in this league, and he has made a number of stops, a number of stops that delivered Montreal all the way to the final of the uh, CONCACAF Champions League this year. The interesting part for me 
And I know a lot of Red Bull fans walked away very frustrated with New York's ability to close down the game. From maybe minute, I don't know, 50 to 65, uh, seemingly New York held the ball for 95% of the time and had a passing clinic in the near part of Montreal's side of the field where the ball went from side to side to side. I mean, they were putting together 20 and 30 pass sequences no room is opening in the impact defense, and they're just kind of going side to side with it. And I know there were discussions about, the quote-unquote, the killer instinct of this team. And killer instinct or not, the team has to continue to push forward and pull apart defenses when they are bunkering in an effort to kill off games. Yes, Bradley hit the post, and yes, uh, Sean Wright Phillips had a nifty shot that went off uh, the, the top corner. But this game could have been put out of reach far, far sooner than it was. And I think a lot of Red Bulls fans were really, really frustrated. Well, and I can get that because they're, I mean, there's this general expectation in the game where if you're up a man, you should just run the board. I mean, why not? And it's interesting. I'm looking at the, the stat sheet now, and from the 60th to the 70th minute, uh, the Red Bulls actually averaged 91% possession. Yeah, which right. is especially it's, funny when you consider that's the interval when the penalty was scored by Drogba. So, uh, you know, it, possession doesn't tell you everything, obviously, as we've talked about many right. times on this show. Uh, you know, they they were taking shots, and yes, you know, Bush uh, Bush had some nice saves, and yes. the crossbar or the the woodwork uh, definitely put in a man of the match performance as well. Yeah, um, you know, I, but it, <laughs> I always find it difficult to to argue with the performance if, you know, it's a, it's a 2-1 win. It's not like Montreal came back and tied it and then the Red Bulls had to, like, squeeze in a garbage goal right at the end. It was no, it no. was out of reach from, from the beginning of the game, more or less. Yes but, yes, but when you've got a player like Didier Drogba who took, what, seven of Montreal's eight shots on the night? I mean, you, t- you want to talk about leaning on your superstar. I think Don, Dom Oduro had that late chance that went a bit wide. But other than that, it was all... Drogba was really the only offense on a night when they're down, down a man. And then I think we, have to, we must turn our attention to the incident at the end of the game. So for, for those of you that don't recall, the ball is going towards the Montreal end line and uh, Toya for Montreal tips the ball with his head, and it is rolling towards the end line, which would have generated a corner deep in injury time, which would have effectively ended the match. Gonzalo Verón, who up until that point had misplayed two balls badly and taken a really poor shot that went over the net and missed uh, tremendously, rather than let the ball roll out, he, he grabs the ball, starts running in at the end line, Sasha and Dax are running, charging down the field at the top of the box. And I believe Sean Wright Phillips is right in front of the goal with two defenders in front of him. And Verone tries to thread the needle to Wright Phillips, of course. And um, Bush collects, which generates one last chance. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It generated a corner kick, which then ended the match. The, the point was, there were, there were two decisions by Verone that were not smart decisions, frankly. And Kleshton let him have it. I mean, Kleschum really let him have it. 
Uh, Wilde gesticulating, screaming at him. After the final whistle, Verone runs off, takes off his jersey, and goes immediately to the locker room. Does not engage with the victory lap. Does not engage with the celebration in front of the front ward, uh, front of the south ward. And uh, we're going to have some really, really interesting words from from Question on that exchange. I'm curious. Did you see it live, or uh, is this? I know you your your vantage point is different. From my, my vantage point did not show it to me, and I didn't have a monitor in front of me in the box uh, on Wednesday night. So unfortunately, I missed. But I, I did go back and get to see the video a couple of days ago, and you know it, it's understandable on both sides. I especially having now talked to Sasha about it. Um, yes. You know, if you don't know how much time is left on the clock, as Sasha admitted to when we asked him about it, um, you know, you you might assume that that if you're not killing off the clock properly, that could have led to a counterattack. So I, I understand the frustration, and I understand Verone you know, being upset that somebody's yelling at him um, and, and wanting to just get off the field. So it, it's not a, a pleasant incident. It's the sort of thing you would hope that they'd save for the locker room rather than doing it right in front of the fans. But it, it is what it is. Well, especially when you pride yourself on being a club that has a tremendous amount of chemistry. Right. And right. we we know that Question's a fiery player. He's shown it all season long. He's played very, very well for the team. Five goals and 12 assists leads the club in assists. Um, there are games where he's completely taken over. It's, it's, um, it's just rare that you've seen that directed at another player. Unless you're talking about uh, Dax and Carl Wiemetz uh, tête-à-tête uh, up in Montreal. So that being said, uh, a PK by Question, a nice floater by Lloyd Sam, some timely saves by Save of the Week. Hello, by Luis Robles once again, by the narrowest of margins, and you've got a 2-1 victory. So your thoughts on who the bull of the match might be? I mean, it's it's a little difficult. Um, not Woodwork. Not, not woodwork. woodwork. I can't give it to Woodwork. He's, he's an inanimate. <laughs> Um, there are some defenders that we could also give that <laughs> opposing defenders. Okay, um, yes. I don't know. I mean, it, the natural tendency is to give it to Sasha only because you know he stepped up and and had the game winner and was generally uh, pretty good for it on the night. Uh, but he did have the missed penalty. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to give it to Sasha, not just because he's on the show tonight. Um, you know. Penalty miss aside, I think he put in a pretty strong performance. Strong performance. I'm going to give mine to Lloyd Sam, even in a limited role. Um, that goal was such such a tremendous amount of skill. I'm also going to give half of my cow. We're going to split the cow, uh, and that's uh, going to go to Ronald Zubar, who for the second straight match has really, really handled a, a, a striker. And yes, he did get off a penalty kick, obviously, but that that's going to happen. Very, um, very strong play on Drogba, who frankly is just tearing up the league. Nine goals in nine games. And when you talk about about teams that are going to <laughs> possible opponents for New York in the playoffs, uh, a Montreal side with uh, a, a presumably 11 men for the entire game, mm-hmm. and with Piotti, who did not play, and New York really dodged a bullet by missing him, um, is certainly one that can, t- that, that can give New York challenges. And do you have ideas for Cow of the match, sir? Um, I, I feel compelled to give it to Bradley, only because I... I seem to recall so many instances of him getting in and having chances and, you know, just not being able to make anything of them. So if I have to pick somebody, I'm going to pick him. Well, with the Dickinson rule, we can't give it to Ayango, who played all of 15 minutes in the last. uh, You you can't give it to the secret agent Ayango. He he pulled (laughs) off his, his sleeper agent job perfectly. 
What a yes, he was a wonderful super agent. And how about the presence not only to hand the ball off the line, but to throw his head back as if he uh, as if he headed the ball. But uh, I think Bradley's a fine choice. Uh, clearly off on the night, lots and lots of opportunities, um, especially late. And uh, you know, nine times out of ten for Bradley, that that roller goes into the net. Um, just wasn't his night. So Bradley and secret agent Ayango, our cows to you. Okay, let's set it up. Two weeks, three matches left. New York in the shield slot, all alone, 54 points and 16 wins, both of which lead MLS. Uh, at Toronto, and we'll get into TFC in a moment, home for Philadelphia on Sunday at 3 o'clock. Yes, that time has been confirmed. Sunday at 3 o'clock for the last remaining home regular season match. Should New York win at Toronto and win that match, they should all but mathematically clinch the shield because then all Dallas could do would be to match New York's goal difference. And right now, New York has a plus seven lead on Dallas. So if not technically, technically, then all but technically. Well, of- hold on, Mark. What? You're, you're getting ahead of the math. Well, right. So, yeah, that's so right. Dallas- because if, if Dallas loses... Yes. That, that's yes, the key. Thank so you. Dallas, that's right. Dallas is also playing Vancouver at home in Dallas on Wednesday night. So. And then at RSL on Saturday night. Yes. So yes. If, if New York wins against Toronto, they have eliminated everybody except for Dallas from the Shield race. because And they've clinched the Eastern Coast. Yes. Um, L.A. cannot catch them on tiebreakers because uh, they'll have three wins over L.A. with L.A. having two to play. And Vancouver won't be able to catch them on points because they've only got two games left regardless. So... If New York wins at Toronto and if Dallas uh, loses, Doesn't win. Right. I think if they draw, they could still catch on points, although you're right that the, the goal difference is uh, somewhat extreme at that point. Um, yes, New York could clench the shield at home against Philly. Which would be, I think, ideal. Of course, uh, L.A., as Dan mentioned, 51 points, only two matches to play, so they can only get to 57. Home for Portland at SKC. Vancouver, 50 points at Dallas, uh, and home for Houston. DCU, basically New York needs a single point, or DCU to drop a single point. Home for Chicago at Columbus, and the East uh, goes to New York. Kansas City, 48 points at San Jose, home for Colorado, home for LA. And then the only other team that could possibly catch New York as of right this moment is... Wednesday's opponent, Toronto FC, they they have three matches left, and they can get to 55 points. So again, if New York even draws at TFC, uh, the East will belong to them. So that's what's at stake. Um, it's Knowing New York, they are going to be coming out ready to rock and roll on Wednesday night at BMO Field in Toronto. Let's talk about Toronto. The best news for New York is that this match is taking place at the tail end of a FIFA break, which will not only take away Sebastian Giovinco and his 21 goals and 15 assists for Toronto, but also Josie Altidore, which may or may not be a benefit to New York, Frankly, 12 goals. So Toronto has scored 55 goals on the year, and 33 of those goals will not be at BMO Field. Michael Bradley uh, has been released by Jurgen Klinsmann, five goals and six assists. And if you believe Toronto FC's 
projected starting 11 that they released today on Twitter. Um, he is the only DP that will take the field. Uh, the, the midfield triumvirate behind him, Colin Warner, Jonathan Osorio, and Sheru were the same that lost to New York at Red Bull Arena earlier this season uh, on August 15th. Um, where Matt Miazga did so wonderfully to hold up uh, Giovinco. Uh, they have Morrow, Pergi, Williams, and Jackson, and one-time Red Bull Chris Kanapka will be in the net for Toronto. And then up top, uh, Moore and Gomez, two players that, frankly, I mean, Luke Moore, a single goal and three assists on the year, and uh, and are they going to st- yeah, they're going to start Coolherk? who has yet to put a point on the board for Toronto FC in four matches. So this is going to be a very, very depleted Toronto squad who can make history tomorrow night. Because if Toronto is able to pull up the upset at home and beat New York, they will officially qualify for the playoffs for the first time ever. So you make it makes you wonder, even though they'll be depleted, that they won't get a very, very strong crowd looking to see Toronto FC history in the making. So your thoughts on this match up in uh, the Great White North? It, it was before my time with the club, but I'm, I'm kind of reminded of the last game of 2009 uh, when yes. Toronto was also on the verge of clinching and had to face the Red Bulls and got murdered, and it was hilarious. Um, I, I think you're right that the, the depletion is the story. Um, you know, you're it, it, without Giovinco and without Michael Bradley, um, Toronto becomes a little. Well, Bradley, Bradley will be there. Bradley will be there, but we'll see if he'll be on the field or not. He did just play 120 um, yep. against Mexico in the heat of the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, it, it, they they become more average as you as you take those pieces out. And, and Giovinco has done a fantastic job of carrying uh, Toronto this year. So. If he is not available after the the Italy call-ups, I think it will be. Um, I don't know that I would call it an upset if Toronto beats New York. Um, you know, this is MLS still, where any team can beat any other team on any day. Um, yes. But I, I think it certainly swings the momentum in New York's favor. Of course, New York will also be without Matt Miazga, who has a very meaningful match to play Tuesday night. In uh, at Real Salt Lake's uh, Rio Tinto Stadium, where they are going to be playing Canada, the U23s, a massive disappointment, falling two nothing in Honduras. There's only one way in to the 2016 Rio Olympic tournament for the U.S. men, and that's to beat Canada tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and then beat Colombia later this year. Uh, it's in March. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. In March of 2016, for the last and final spot in the Olympic football tournament on Black Sa- uh, Black Saturday. Nothing went right for the U.S. Nothing went right. Nothing went right. It's okay, okay so It'll be okay. It, it, uh, I don't know if it will. Okay, so that all being said, your prediction for Wednesday at Toronto? 3 nothing New York. Really? Oh, well, I mean, no Giovinco, no party. Uh, that's, I think someone should put that on a T-shirt. No, Giovinco, no party. I mean, this is a team that's yet to score on the Red Bulls. Yes, the, the teams are only going to play twice this regular season, but without their offensive firepower, I mean, when you take away 60% of their goal output and you're still hoping for something magic to happen with that kind of uh, very ordinary... I mean, unless Bradley is absolutely superhuman and Hercules Gomez dis- to discover some of the old magic, it could be... Uh, a very lonely night up in uh, in Ontario. So I'm going to call it 
a 2-1 to one New York win. I think it's going to be a lot closer than that, possibly a late goal. I know that Jesse will have the team believing that, uh, yes, in fact, all of Toronto's key pieces are on the field, but after watching what the Red Bulls did to Montreal, I, I also agree that this could be a win. So before we go, two pieces of note. Uh, first of all, the shop is open. You can get your Seeing Red t-shirts right now at the Empire of Soccer shop. If you go to EmpireSoccer.com and click on EOS shop, you will see some lovely New York, uh, Seeing Red t-shirts, as well as New York Red Bulls t-shirts. Seeing Red t-shirts uh, in both men's and women's sizes, both red and blue. Please go check them out. They're highly affordable. And then I'd like to spend at least a minute talking about Saturday night's U.S. loss to Mexico. And uh, Any thoughts that you might have, sir? I'm going to let you start, because you seem a little... A little verklempt, Mark. I'm uh, well. First of all, will you be attending the U.S. match tomorrow night? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I didn't apply for a credential. I am contemplating buying a ticket, but at the same time, the, it's Costa Rica. So uh, there are plenty of tickets available, and there's a lot of consternation on social media today about why folks haven't shown up for this 6:30 p.m. kickoff at Red Bull Arena. With eighty-five dollar tickets for midfield, I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, it's not just the midfield tickets that haven't moved, though. I, I know, I think it's, I, it's all of them. The, it's the $40 upper deck tickets to go see a team that, um, you know, it wouldn't have been so bad if New York had played toe-to-toe with Mexico all night long. New York? Excuse me. <laughs> if, if the U.S. hadn't played toe-to-toe with Mexico all night long and got beaten on that phenomenal shot, I mean, an absolute highlight reel goal. Thanks, Bees and Jermaine Jones. Um, but it, it, it was really men against boys for most of this uh, match in the Rose Bowl, and the, the the improvement is not really there. And uh, I'm I'm officially uh, off Team Klinsman. I've I'm I've washed my hands of the situation. Gosh. So, yeah. I mean, I, that, that's such a surprising reaction, given. All right. Oh, so look. I'm I'm very torn on what the right thing to do for the national team at this point is. Um, if, if there was some way to divorce Klinsman, the technical director, from Klinsman, the coach, I wouldn't have a problem keeping Klinsman, the technical director. I think he does have some reasonable ideas, and it's the sort of position that, that's meant to be a more long-term change-the-system sort of thing. But it, it's a results business, and the results haven't been there for the national team this year, you know, friendly in Germany aside, you know, it's a friendly. Does it count? Yeah, it, yep. it only counts apparently when we win, not when we lose. Right? Um, Didn't you know? Of course, but it's it, it's a little befuddling to me um, the the way that Jurgen can can both accuse everybody and and deflect the blame away from himself. I mean. The, there was a question that he got asked in the, the post-game press conference on Saturday uh, referencing Landon Donovan's comments from a day prior about, you know, he should be held to the same standard he's asking everybody to hold his players to. And, you know, if he doesn't win, um, there should be a conversation about his employment. And the question starts and he just starts smirking and he, he chuckles a little bit as he's answering. He's like, that's fine. Everybody can have their opinions. You know, I'm not here to be liked. I'm just here to do a good job and you know, people can think what they want. It's like, what? You're the same guy who has demanded that we start shouting at players in Super. That, that that's right. And, that's and right. And if you, if you both 
act like there's not enough pressure, and then when there's pressure, you just sort of shrug it off and giggle. Um, it, it's really insulting. And there's been uh, so many good editorials over the last two days, um, you know, lamenting the sort of weird situation we're in. And now we have this whole thing with Fabian Johnson that's blown up over the last four hours. Um, right, which is, of course, that he, he sent Fabian Johnson back to Germany. Right, and, and when you unpack the Fabian Johnson thing, and I know I went on about this on a, for a while on Twitter, so indulge me for just a minute, but yes. his, his complaint with Fabian was that he asked to be subbed off when apparently he wasn't injured, he was just, uh, you know, seemingly really tired because he was playing 120 minutes at heat coming off of an injury where he hadn't played more than two games for his club. Um, and so by asking for the sub, Jurgen could not bring on Necromondo to handle the penalty shootout that didn't end up happening in the first place. Mm. Uh, and I get that there may be some other attitude thing and, and maybe Johnson, you know, said some nonsense in training today or whatever. I like, I don't know, but for the, the coach to just throw the player under the bus like that and then back it up with, back it up with a tactical rationale that doesn't hold up under any scrutiny. Like I, I can't deal with him as a coach. I can deal with him yeah. as a technical director, you know, fix the youth system, do something about the NCAA, see what you can fix with the MLS competition format. Like, be the technical director, but right. you know everybody. The the top question that keeps coming up in the social media arguments about this is, well, who would you replace him with? If you have a friend who's saying, you know, I really think I should break up with my girlfriend. Um, Don't do know, that. She, who are you going to go out with? Who are you going to start right. dating immediately? Like you have right. to find somebody right now. Come on. You don't fire somebody at their job and go. I have a replacement waiting to to take your job. You 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 do it, and then you figure out what you're going to do. You have an interim plan. That's what every yeah. every international team in the world does. Well, and we do have World Cup qualifying. Uh, that being said, against some pretty small teams that are happening next month, and now where we go, but on the same day to to drop the game to Honduras in the Olympic qualifying tournament, and then come out and you know again. Once again, if they had played their hearts out and they left it all on the field, and I'm not saying they didn't, but there was no urgency, there was no possession, and I found myself begging the U.S. to press because I watch a team that presses all year long and watching Altidore and Dempsey basically be very comfortable playing five, ten yards away from the Mexican defense with the ball, I, you know, I practically... Uh, I put my hand through the screen, but you know, imploring them to push up and try and actually win the ball. And uh, again, listen, if they had gotten the penalty kicks, it could have worked out. I don't think there's anyone that is under the impression that the U.S. played better than Mexico in this match. I believe that Klinsman said we played very well. He said it was uh, it was an even match. Oh, you. <laughs> we'll be back I, right after this. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'd just also like to add, of course, the Red Bulls finished the regular season at home on Sunday against Philadelphia. There are a limited number of seats available for this match. This match is selling very, very well. So if you're on the fence about seeing a match that could uh, see for the second time in three years the Supporters' Shield live and in person, it might be a good time to buy those tickets. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Sasha Kleschen, midfielder of the New York Red Bulls. We'll be right back after this. 
You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin and Dan Dickinson here tonight. And uh, a very, very important piece of the New York Red Bull success this year has been Seton Hall man and Jesse Marsh confidant, Sasha Kleschen, who's coming back for his second appearance on Seeing Red. How are you tonight, Sasha? I'm good. Thanks for having me. We are very, very happy that you joined us. Um, Let's start here. Obviously, you kick off the scoring with a well-placed, patented uh, Sasha Kleschen penalty kick. How hard is it to take two penalty kicks in one match? Is that something that you've encountered a lot in your career? Um, I think that might be the first time I've ever done it personally, but uh, I've seen other guys do it many times. Uh, I don't. I don't account that for the missed penalty on the second one. I just think I was a little bit nonchalant and didn't really hit it with the same power that I usually do when I go to the side. So I take the responsibility for the missed one on that one. <laughs> just kind of curious. Now, at the end of the match, um, the whistle blows. You're down at the end of the field. Uh, it was very, very apparent to everyone in the South Ward that um, you and Gonzalo Verón had a little bit of a discussion that uh, prompted Verón to miss the uh, closing victory lap. Did you guys able to make it up in the locker room? Are you guys uh, all one uh, team united? Yeah, of course we're all one team united. Um yeah, the play happens where, you know, there's a whole mess of things. There's not just me yelling at a guy for no reason. There's a, there's a reason why I, I gave him a piece of my mind. And that's because we're playing a game where we're 2-1 and we've had multiple opportunities to end the game. And we have one last chance at the end of the game. And I don't know how much time is left on the clock at this point. I figured there was about a minute. And he has a chance to give a wide open pass to me or Dax McCarty for a tap in and the ball doesn't come, and who knows if the other team's going to go down the other way and score now and tie it up, and we had a chance to finish the game. So I was a, I was a bit upset with him. Uh, the next day I spoke to him. I apologized for, for coming after him like that, and, and he said sorry for – he said he went back and watched the play and didn't see me or Dax, and if he had seen me or Dax, he would have given us the ball. So he apologized for that, and I apologized for coming after him, and everything's fine, but – I also let him know that it wasn't acceptable for him to just walk straight into the locker room and not do the celebration with the rest of the team, to which he said he wouldn't he wouldn't let that happen again. Sasha, um, you've got a, a trip up north coming midweek, uh, facing Toronto FC, first uh, road game up there for this this season and only road game this season. What what are your thoughts about where Toronto is and any concerns coming into Wednesday? No, I'm not really concerned about anything. I think we've We've proven that in, in almost every game we've played this season that we've tried to put the game on our terms and, and play the way we want to play and not let the other team dictate the game. So uh, in any case, we're going up to Toronto with our game plan, ready to, to put them under pressure, create as many turnovers and as many chances as possible. And, and you know, we're, we're going to go over them tomorrow in training and, and, and know what kind of threat they can pose. But I think we're going to be ready to, to go in there and get a result. Sasha, obviously the results down the stretch have been very, very strong, and the 
contenders both in the East and in the Shield race are uh, kind of starting to drop. Have you guys been doing a lot of scoreboard watching over the last few weeks, or are we've we've had numerous players? Uh, we've had Jesse come and say it's not about the Shield. It's not about the Shield. Obviously, um, a trophy for a trophy-starved franchise has a lot of the fans very excited. Are you eagerly watching th- uh, matches in in uh, other parts of the league to focus on your uh, possible win at the end of the season? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, I don't think Jesse doesn't care about the Shield. I think his comments came off a bit in in the wrong way, and I think you guys took them in the wrong way. Look, the the supporter Shield and finishing first in the league is is a goal of every team, and so we have that goal as well. We're just not going to focus on 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 hoping that other teams at the top lose in order for us to win it. We want to go out there and do our thing and, and and win the final three games and then win the Shield. So. We're focused on what we can do to win the Shield and not going to be hoping and crossing our fingers for other teams to lose in order for that to happen. Sasha, I think the, your stats for the year have told quite the story. Up through about the middle of the season, uh, mid-June, you had two goals and one assist. Following uh, the Vancouver game, you've had five goals and 11 assists. What changed for you between the first and second half of the season? Uh, the most important thing I think has been the, the relationships on the field that I've built with, with Bradley Wright Phillips and, and Lloyd Sam and Mike Grella. I think those have really grown a lot and, and, you know, have become top notch in the second half of the season. Um, you know, the turning point also for me was the red card against Vancouver. I know I let my team down and I had a hard talk with Jesse the next day. He told me that I let the team down and that I needed to do more to help the team win games. And so I tried to put a lot more weight and pressure on my shoulders to help the team win in the second half of the season. And I think I've done a, a pretty good job of that, but I can always do better. So I'm ready to, to continue this good run and, and into the playoffs. Sasha Landon Donovan, who should be noted, has the league MVP award named after him, was on ESPN FC yesterday. And I think he said, I think Sasha Kleschen, you could argue, has been the MVP of the league this year. Uh, is it nice to have such a legendary player backing your performance? Yes. Um, you know, Landon Landon is a guy that I played with over the years with the national team, and then obviously, like you said, the, the MVP trophy is named after him, so you see what, what type of caliber player he was and what a legend he was in American soccer. So very humbling for me to hear him say that. Um, you know, I really appreciate that maybe not a lot of – of people around the league recognize what I do on a, on a game to game basis to help the team win, not only in goals and assists, but I think a guy like Landon recognizes that and recognizes the, the really good team that we have. So I really appreciate uh, his words. They mean a lot to me. Uh, Sasha, back in August, I think around the last time you guys played Toronto FC, uh, you told some of the media that you were hoping to work your way back into the national team picture, start getting call-ups again. What do you make of the current situation in the national team camp, especially after Saturday's setback? Uh, you know, it's not for me to say. The the national team and the players are obviously going to be disappointed with the results. You know, anytime you play against your big rival like Mexico, you want to win. So, you know, they're going to be disappointed the to not be making the Confederations Cup, but for the rest, I'm just trying to do my best uh, to, to continue winning with the Red Bulls and hope that I get another shot with the national team. 
Sasha, it's it's evident that the team appears to have a special chemistry. A lot of the media have talked about, uh, long-time media have talked about, that even when past Red Bull teams have been here, the team did not seem as tight. Is it something that you are feeling as well, and given your um, broad experience at home and abroad, is, is this kind of a special team uh, feeling for you as well? Yeah, I've said this on numerous occasions that, that this is the best group I've ever played with, um, chemistry-wise, team-wise, team mentality first and things like that. We we get along really well off the field. Uh, even the new guys like Gonzalo Verón has shown up and, and, and learned English so fast and really integrated himself in the team. And then Sean Wright Phillips, another new guy, I think we've made them feel welcome, but they've also put in the effort to, to join this group and really make the group stronger. And then for me personally, we get along so well off the field. We have such a good time being around each other that it makes training every day better. It makes the games better. It makes everything better. Sasha, before we let you go, uh, I, last I checked, uh, you've got a lot of love for L.A. area sports teams. So how are you holding up during the Mets-Dodgers series? I'm not a Dodgers fan, so I'm pulling for the for the Mets. Um, and then I think I'm becoming I think I'm becoming a Jets fan from being out here. I, I never really had an NFL team before, and the guys have convinced me to play fantasy football with them this year. And I've just chosen the Jets as my new team. So hopefully they they have a good season. They started out pretty well. How is your fantasy team doing? Lloyd was very undone about his when he got to the show. My team is terrible. Uh, I'm a first-year manager, and I'm struggling with it a little bit. But uh, I'm looking forward to next week because next week I'm playing Luis, and we both have a poor record, so this is my chance to actually do something. (laughs) Well, we wish you good luck with it. Sasha Kleschen wears number 16 for the New York Red Bulls. Sasha, we wish you all the best in the remaining games and on into the playoffs. Thanks for joining us tonight. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll have more Seeing Red for you right after this. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, back with you. Email time. I feel a little strange. We've had two supersized shows in a row, and now it's just a regular size show. It's, it's just the show that you've grown up with here at Seeing Red. Thomas Henry writes Mark and Dan. First off, I think the Amnesty Day for Smurf fans who have seen the error in their ways is a fantastic idea. Maybe we can use all of their extra flares to start a pyre to burn the David Villa jerseys. The real point of this email was to talk about the baby bulls, specifically Sean Davis, Leo Stoltz, Speedy Williams, Tyler Adams, Derek Etienne, and Anatole Bong. I know that each of these players are in a very different place in their respective careers. However... With the first team doing as well as they are, they are. I was wondering, what do you think the plan? What do you think of the plan with this talent of the future is? If the plan is to become a team that makes money off of its academy, a la Southampton, which our current stars may be the sale trade bait to make room for our fresh crop of stars, I was wondering if you could focus more on the future of Stoltz and Adams and how we can get more playing time for Sean Davis. I think he has really gotten the short end of the stick, not getting called into the U23 team with young Matt Miazga. Thanks for helping me through the season. Thomas Henry of Section 231. Thoughts, sir? 
more playing time for young players. Well, I mean, it is the the crux of Sean Davis had plenty of playing time on uh, on Wednesday Sha- night. Sean that. Davis, more than any other academy signing that I've seen in the last five years, I, I think is getting pretty consistent minutes. Um, maybe only Agadello, I think, got more over the the just in terms of my mental stat book. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't think Sean Davis is necessarily lacking for time. Um, I, I think the other players uh, mentioned are, are definitely in different positions. Um, I think Derek Etienne absolutely has to get locked up to an actual professional contract. He's not, at last I checked, actually signed to a professional contract with Red Bulls too. No, he's still, um, he's still an academy player. They, they need to lock him down because... He brings a, a ton of talent. I don't know. There was a, a video of a goal he scored for his college side. Oh, yes. Metro, that, that was just yes. fantastic. Um, yes. Kid, kid's got a lot of time. David Gass, when I when I called my one Red Bulls 2 game, um, kept swearing up and down to me that he's the one to keep an eye on, um, and he definitely brings something. So hopefully they sign him to a real contract. Maybe he sticks with Red Bulls 2 next year um, for that, but I think you know he's somebody that – that could advance quickly. I think the the jury's still kind of out on Leo Stoltz. Um, you know, he's he's had his moments, uh, and then he's had his moments, moments. where he hasn't played uh, for Red Bulls too. And uh, you know, you've got Tyler Adams is is still only sixteen, so I, I think we. <laughs> so you're saying we have some time might, on Tyler? You Adams. might have a little bit of time out there. <laughs> you got Franklin Castellanos, um, who who performed very well against Chelsea. Um, a bong is nineteen. Right? I mean, a bong's on a senior contract already, right? So, right, you yes. don't need to worry so much about him, um, you know. And uh, you, you know, there's a couple of defenders uh, that are in the academy playing with uh, two, particularly Conrad Pluva, I believe is how you pronounce that. Yes. Um, so, I, you know, I think what you'll you'll generally see is that. The goal with the academy kids should be to make sure that you're getting them on an actual contract. Because, you know, if, if they go through, they can go through college and then you can still sign them as a homegrown if, if that's the way you want to go with it. But you, you know, if they want to go professional, sign them up for two now. And then take, take that top crop from the baby bulls, if we're allowed to call them that. Um, and bring, bring them up to the senior team. There, there's no reason for this. No what did you say? I, you heard me. Mm. <laughs> but it's not about a game for once. Right. But, you know, th- this team historically has gone out and tried to find, I don't want to call them journeymen, but, you know, sort of just roster filler players who, you know, will, will come out occasionally if there's an injury or something else. And the, the academy is churning out talent that can fill those roles. So sign them. And that's, that's yeah, my for piece. sure. For sure. And again, on on Stoltz, I mean, there there are plenty of stories about MLS draft picks that don't pan out. You know, I actually I went back and looked at the Super Draft Round One pick uh, yes. for this past year, and I recognized maybe three names. Hmm. Uh, most of those players have not, for, best I can tell, have not been uh, lighting anything up. The fact that Kyle Aaron's going to win Rookie of the Year, hands down. Yes. You look through that list and tell me who else could even be close. Right. All right. Here's Charlie Best, who says, Hey, guys, I've been listening to this show for a while now and finally took a shot with a serious question last week, so I'm going for fun this week. Dax's Spanish broadcast name, the Ginger Ninja, has caught on with many fans. 
I believe Empire of Soccer is selling Ginger Ninja shirts now. He is and also selling seeing red shirts. What are some other great nick- nicknames in the history of the Metro Stars and Red Bulls? I'm doing just a, a perusal of the all-time... All-time nickname list? All, well, the all-time roster list to kind of come up. Well, Adolfo Valencia, of course, was El Tren, right? He was, he was the train. Um, Anthony Diavila was Pitufo, which meant Smurf. I think he was 5'2 uh, in elevator shoes. Uh, Let's see. Um, I'm, uh, Sergio Calvon Ray was the goal king. That was his nickname. And in 53 appearances, he scored all of 10 goals and was promptly shown the door. That was, that was the nadir of this club. Uh, Jim Rooney was the Bronx Boomer, if I recall correctly. Um, and please feel free to correct me. Um, Matt Kanji was the, was the Kanji man, I think, by, by, by some. Jean-Paul Peguero, who was here for a cup of coffee, he was JPP, which I think makes a ton of sense. Um, let's see, scrolling down. The biggest thing was when Alexi Lalas was GM of the Metro Stars and then Red Bulls, he had, he had a, this major Jones for this, this player, Daniel Garipe who never actually played for the team and uh, on some sort of bulletin board he or some public appearance he said, don't bag on the ripper, Daniel Garipe. <laughs> okay, all right, buddy. I'm almost at the, I, I'm, I'm getting towards the end of uh, this list. Uh, and, and, and it's a point scored list. Um, Matt Hardy, yeah. wasn't he Mr. Clean? Oh, thank you very much. Yes, Red Hardy, uh, Red Hardy, known for his bald haircut at the time, was Mr. Clean. And am I totally blanking on Clint Mathis's nickname? Is well, he was Clintinho. Clintinho was. I, I think I saw a Cletus or two. He was certainly a Cletus. Yes, thank you very <laughs> much. Due to his uh, Georgia upbringing, um, and Mundo Rodriguez, who played all of eleven games. For the Metro Stars in 1996, it was very quickly quickly named Ed Succo by uh, by fans of the team because the guy could not actually play. He was absolutely miserable. And uh, Jeff um, Paul Grafer, the one-time backup goalie who played sparingly for the team, didn't have a nickname per, per se, but he always used to wear long black pants, and so the chant at the time was, they're long, they're black, they're halfway up is crack, Grafer's pants, it's Grafer's pants. And so that was a song for old-school Metro fans who you will remember and you know you are. Um, I'm kind of looking at some of the guys who were... I think that's a good list. I think that's a good list of some old school Metro nicknames. So thank you so much, Charlie, for that. And thank you, Dan, for jogging my memory. Here is uh, Peter Knox, who says, Dear Red Bulls Royalty Podmasters, thank you for speaking to those loyal fans week in and week out. You've guided us over many seasons and many ups and downs. And I have to say we're on the up. And Peter is doing a great job by reminding everyone that if you want to get your email read on Seeing Red, that sucking up is a wonderful way to do it. Rarely do we stop to enjoy being on top of the table. What's more, our club was the first of all the 20 teams to punch their ticket to the playoffs, and that was weeks ago. 
And it was. So the shield race has been a bonus. Sometimes I wish MLS didn't have any playoffs. They're a part of American sports and we have to deal with it, and thus the cup feels more important than the shield, especially since we already won that once. But my question is, despite our amazing run of play of late, and in spite of our finishing problems in the box, it seems many players want to pass it around, when eventually we need someone to step up and take the shot. Being too clever or conservative have cost us goals, and we're going to need them in the playoffs. What could be done to get into our finishing form by the time of playing the win in the playoffs? Who will step up and shoot? Let's go Red Bulls. I thought that Sean Wright Phillips was very aggressive in his, uh, in his limited time, and I thought it really gave a spark to just about everybody. I think Varone certainly needs to be willing to take those shots and go directly at defenders to try and generate goals on, on himself. But again, the team has been very adamant about saying, yeah, we, we do get challenged when teams bunker against us. And, and many teams are because that's the way you hold off that sort of flying <laughs> attack. Um, and it is definitely, you know, you don't want to just blast a shot into a defender and lose possession and then get caught on the counter. Um, it's worth noting that despite whatever finishing troubles this team is having, they are tied for the lead in goals scored um, and have played one less game than most of the rest of the competition. So um, I don't know. Is there really an expectation that they should have 70 goals by this point? Well, and again, they are up in the absolute top corner in terms of goals scored in the league. Right. So it's not like they're not scoring the goals. Right. It's just at times it's more challenging than at others. And I agree that sometimes the team just needs to shoot. Yes, I mean, I can understand it because we've all seen them pass around the top of the box and and then the play goes away from them. Um, yep. But I, I think they're doing fine. Nick Farachi says, Hello, Seeing Red. Thanks for all the great work as always. I love listening to the pod each week. Your interviews especially are fascinating. Fascinating interviews here at Seeing Red. I'll try to organize my thoughts cogently and keep it relatively brief. Nick then writes a four-paragraph novel. Uh, I will paraphrase here. Does it occur to me that one thing we've been doing more but not perfect is grinding out results. Maybe last night's, meaning the Montreal match, was frustrating, but we did win. Considering our goal difference, our phenomenal keeper, and our usually strong defense, it is maybe valid to say that Jesse, instead of tinkering to fix issues, should go into the playoffs on the platform of trying to simply outscore opponents. Sure, it would be how heart-pounding stuff, but I don't necessarily mind winning playoff games 5-4. Maybe the margins are too fine, though. Can we t- can't back on that. What Bank on that. What do you think? As a side question, I'm wondering if there's any chance of seeing Duval again this year. I'm not sure how his recovery is going, but Connor Laid for me has been woeful. Hmm. And in my team of the week last, the week before last, and in my opinion was the entire reason for our 5-2 loss. Yikes. I'd rather see a returning Duval come in than a fit and ready laid. Your thoughts on this as well. Thanks again. First of all, I, I don't know what more they, they can do to, to try and score goals, especially when more than half the time all ten field players are in the opponent's half. Uh, you know, New York is not necessarily a team that's going to score a ton of goals on the counter, especially when they're up a man. And we just dealt with that in our last email. But let's get to um, Nick's last point. Wondering if there's any chance of seeing Duval again this year. Chris uh, did tweet a photo of himself or Instagram, I forget, uh, a picture last week saying, uh, with a picture of him and, a, and his foot, I imagine it's his foot, and the ball saying, hey, uh, it's, it's finally nice to get a foot on a ball again. So he is working. To call him match fit is obviously not correct. No, he's definitely not. Uh, there, I think there was a, another photo Instagrammed of him riding a bike with some friends around Central Park. 
So he he's certainly getting back <laughs> to uh to being mobile. Um, but I don't I, you know expecting him to be ready to go at any point this month, let alone the playoffs. Um, you know, I I, I get that Connor has hot matches and cold matches and many players in the league do. And so does he. He knows that as yeah. well. Um, but I, I don't know that I'd take a returning from a broken leg right back, uh, especially during the playoffs. Yeah, into a playoff game, for sure. For sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Our last email of the night comes to us from Scott Matthews, who says, Gang, thanks for a fantastic season of reporting and opining. Even with the Shield and playoffs undetermined, has there ever been a calendar year with such highs, with such high highs and low lows? You've all been great at keeping things steady and rational while others lost their heads. Steady and rational. My question concerns the 20 in 20. As a newer supporter, I've really enjoyed seeing the club celebrate iconic players who came before my time. I'd love to see some kind of regular induction of players to that sort of Hall of Fame for the club. If there was to be a 25 in 25, who on the current squad would you consider for selection? What former players who didn't make the 20-player cut would you like to see included? Best, Scott Matthews. Would you like to take your first shot at this? Sure. Um, I'm going to go with the the easy ones. Yes, layups. Let's talk about layups for 25 and 25. Dax. Bradley. Louise. Yes. I think that goes without saying. Um, I think... If you now remember to make twenty five and or to make twenty in twenty, you had to be retired, sure. right? You had to be away from the game, which meant that Tim Howard would, did not count for this uh, for this honor. Correct. Uh, wh- who would naturally be the one player that I would uh, consider adding here? Who who could go on this list in the future? Sean Davis, obviously, the kid's just starting out. Um, if he shows the promise that we all see out of him throughout a long career that hopefully will be in New York, he is a player that at one point could be made in this list. Uh, while I don't consider Matt Miazga to necessarily be a long-term Red Bull, one could argue that his performances this year uh, were worthy of adding to that honor, and of course, you know we'll really kind of wait to see what comes with uh, a player like Sasha Kleschen, who has many good years left, or even a Lloyd Sam as we come down um, as we come down the stretch to what will be a very meaningful playoff. I don't know if we talked. Did we talk about playoff schedule? We did not uh, on the last show because the playoff schedule has been set, and I think as we as we close up this great seeing red, I think it would be a nice uh, thing to go over it. So, all, the playoffs, while the the opponents, uh, the the exact times of kickoffs haven't been set, here here is the playoff postseason schedule for uh, for MLS. And and let me just say, I don't know if you're watching, if you're a baseball fan, Dan. I don't know if you're watching baseball playoffs. When I was growing up or even last year, the playoffs were called the playoffs. Now, apparently, it's called the postseason. It's, it's just, I don't know, marketing hooey to me. But nevertheless, the, no, the knockout round games will be the three versus six and four versus five matches. Um, those games will be the 28th and 29th of October. All the playoff MLS playoff games after that will occur on Sundays. And... While one might argue that going up against NFL football is not necessarily the smartest thing, from a from a team and fan scheduling standpoint, 
I don't see that as a negative at all. Because you know that these games are exactly a week apart from each other, Mm -hmm. um, and teams will have plenty of time to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. Um, Teams won't get caught except going from the 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 knockout round winners to the first leg um, with with a few days uh, to prepare. So on the 1st and the 8th of November will be the conference semifinals. Both of those days will have quadruple headers on um, all of the uh, MLS networks. I believe the games are at 1, 3, 5, and 7. It's uh, 3, 5, 7, and 9, 30. Thank you. And one, Thank one you. would be... I think it would be reasonable to assume that the three and five slots would be for we'll the, be the Eastern East. Conference, probably, yeah. and the the seven and nine thirty might be the West. Although, you know, the the first two are ESPN and the second two are Fox, so they they might want to balance them out. Certainly, the three o'clock. I can't imagine anybody on the West Coast kicking off at noon on a Sunday, I mean, but we'll see. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So for the Red Bulls, um, by and large, folks, the Red Bulls will host a home playoff game on. Sunday, November 8th. That'll be the second leg of the conference finals. Now, if, uh, well, actually, regardless whether or not New York advances, the conference finals will be, they'll take a week off for FIFA dates and for World Cup qualifying on those dates. And then the the conference finals will be on the 22nd and 29th of November. All Both those days will be double headers on Sundays. So again, um, if you're planning your calendar out, for the playoffs, New York will most probably play at home at November 8th, and most probably should they advance on November 29th, and then the MLS Cup will be the following Sunday on December 6th. So just to put it out there, as the games get more solidified, as we go through these last two weeks of the playoffs, they'll announce the times of those dates, but just to clear your calendar, and... uh I think we should clear ours. So we've come to the end of another great seeing red. Dan calls it a th- a w- another three nothing win for New York. Sure, sure. Why I not? I think that's how, what they won against Toronto last year in the that, final. There home you game go. Too, so there you go. And then maybe we'll play them in the playoffs. And we'll have some more three nothing wins. Uh, odd calling it a two-one win for New York, Toronto without their big stars. Of course, we'd like to thank Sasha Kleschen for taking part in tonight's show. We'd like to thank everyone that wrote in, whether we were able to read your email or not, and uh, we'd like to thank you for listening. For Dan Dickinson, I'm Mark Fishgang saying thanks so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. We'll be back next week. Good night, everyone. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com. 